All right, well, good morning, everyone. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Aren't the first mornings of a weekend camp a little rough? Like, oh, I should have gone to sleep earlier. Oh, I should have just gone to sleep at all. (laughs) Right? Hang in there, guys. I'll do my part. You do your part. Deal? Okay. um, Hey, when we were singing um, that part of that last song, I know it's not much. um, I've got nothing else fit for a king except for a hallelujah. Remember that part? And I... I was sitting back there thinking, like, how much of us actually believe that singing a hallelujah to God is really his heart's desire? Because we live in this world of achievement, right? Do you ever feel the pressure that you need to do better? Even if you're doing your best, you got to do better. You got to do better than the next person. And whether it's like you placing it on yourself or others placing it on you. Um, any, Any athletes in the room? Like to play sports, yeah. Uh, do you feel the pressure that well, you got to do better? You better do better so you can get a scholarship. And if you don't get a scholarship, then it's all on you. Or you got to do better so that people will take notice of you, that your name will be noticed. And uh, how about academics? Do you ever feel the pressure that someone's just trying to push you so hard? Or maybe it's yourself. Anybody, anyone a perfectionist in the room where, man, if you don't get the exact, this is, has to be 100% every single time or I am a failure. Isn't it weird? I feel like the scriptures are just stories of people who have highs and lows and screw ups and mess ups and some victories. And see, there's one main character of the scriptures and that's God. Everyone else is an extra. We're extras. We're never the center of attention. <clears throat> and so when we sing that part of the song, I don't want us to sit there and go, I should be doing more. I should be doing more. What if in that moment, God's just like, just give me what we have. Just give me what we have. Just give me what we have. You sit there and go, oh, biblically, where's that going? This has nothing to do with the message, but I just want to encourage you with it because it was that song. I thought, God, if I have nothing else to give to you, that's really fit for a king. And that phrase, fit for a king, I'm thinking, well, it's how I define fit for a king, not how God defines fit for a king. There is this pressure, and I want to make sure that you understand that there are times where God is like, I feel you and I understand you. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. <clears throat> but there's this part right after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they're throwing him a party, which is kind of fitting. If you raise someone from the dead, like you should get a party. I just feel like that's kind of a universal thing. Like get some, get some pizzas at least and honor the person who raised the guy from the dead. That's a good thing. In John chapter 11, you notice it's Lazarus and then Mary and Martha are his sisters and Martha has this faith. And yet Mary, I think, I know that she had faith, but I think she was ticked off with Jesus because isn't it weird that Martha went to Jesus when she found out Jesus was coming, but Mary stayed back until Martha went and said, hey, he's calling for you. And then all of a sudden she gets up and walks and says in such a way that everyone took notice of her. And I always, I I relate that back to, does anybody here have that go walk when you're ticked? 
Like you're mad, it's like, so bam, I'm ready. And then like everyone just parts out of the way because they don't want to get run over by you. I'm wondering if that's what it is. And then she collapses to the ground, says the exact same words that Jesus said. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever said that? God, if you were really here, this wouldn't happen. If you really loved me, then I wouldn't have gone through this. If you really heard my prayer and could do whatever you, do whatever you wanted to do, then they wouldn't have died because I asked you to keep them from dying. You been there? And he doesn't, give her, he doesn't give an answer. He just looks at it and she's weeping and he sees everyone else weeping. My favorite verse in all the Bible because I was a Christian school brat my whole life and we had to do memory verses, but I nailed this one every single time. Two words. John eleven thirty five. you know what it is? Jesus wept. You ever stop and wonder why did he cry? He knew what he was gonna do, why cry? How many of you guys, uh, how many of you guys cry uh, when you watch movies? <clears throat> okay, all right. Guys, no? Got a couple of guys like, boom. It's like, no, my eyes just sweat and they're in the really teary parts. How many cry the second time for the same movie? Still gets you, right? Why? Like, is it just, it's gonna be different this time? They're not gonna, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. It's not, they died, this sucks. It's emotional, right? <clears throat> Why did Jesus cry? If you knew what he was gonna do, why cry? Because everybody else did. Everybody else hurts, so when we hurt, what does Jesus do? He hurts with us. That's, do you realize he still has that ministry? His job or his ministry is still intercession. He still intercedes on our behalf. We have a God who sympathizes with us. That word sympathize, guys, it means to suffer with. It's not just this feeling from afar, like, oh, I really feel bad for this. Like, I'm suffering as much as you are, and even more, I'm suffering. My heart aches for you. <clears throat> so they have a party after Jesus brings Lazarus back from the dead and says, Mary's looking from a distance. She walks in the hall and takes this flask of pure nard. That's pretty. Nard and then breaks it and pours it all over Jesus. All of a sudden, Judas starts saying these words. Why, do you, why did she waste this on him like that? This could have been sold and all the money given to the poor. And the Bible tells us the reason that he said that is because he liked to steal from the money bag. Jesus is getting ready to take a cross for the sin of the world, and Judas Iscariot had the nerve to say, why this waste? Why this waste on the one, the Lamb of God? And Jesus, as the crowd, as a group, not crowd, but as a group starts getting frustrated and saying the same thing and kind of picking out at her, Jesus then looks at him and says, leave her alone. Dang. I guarantee that everyone shut up. Why? Because this is the dude that just raised someone from the dead. He could probably put you in the grave if he wanted to. So boom, it's like, no, leave her alone. You know why? He says this. She has done a beautiful thing because she has done what she could. Guys, it's not impressive to pour perfume on somebody. No one takes out their phone. Do it one more time. I want everyone to see this. Your wrist action when you poured was gracious. It was amazing. Nobody cares. It's not that impressive. And yet to Jesus, it was everything. It was beautiful. The creator of the universe who creates sunsets and sunrises looked at what it is that she did and called it beautiful. Why? Because it was impressive? No, because it came from a heart of worship. She did what she could. Friends, what I'm asking you to do to strive to hear the applause of heaven rather than settling for the applause of people. 
Strive to be faithful to what it is that God has called you to in this moment. Do your best to the glory of God. It's not just do your best, do your best to the glory of God. And as you do that, it's called worship. And as you worship the Lord, realize that Jesus receives it and says, oh, they did a beautiful thing to me. I still think he says the same thing about today, when we do that to him. So if all you said to go, I've got nothing else fit for a king. Aren't you thankful that we worship a king who's actually willing to get up off of his throne, come down to be where we are? He's like, just give me what you have. And if all you have are hands up, singing a song, and maybe you don't even have the voice, maybe you don't have that voice, and you sing, people are sitting there going, come on, keep it coming. You're sitting there going, I know one note, and I keep it strong the whole way through, and the whole time you have to know that Jesus is going, they are doing a beautiful thing to me. He said, make a joyful noise, not a good one. If you don't like to sing, then rap. Like, rap that mother out. But just let it go. But for some reason, we've, it's like, well, whatever people accept of me, then I have to do better because that's what God expects of me. Friends, if you can, point, if you can pour ointment onto a person, the king of the universe stands in ovation and says, you did what you could. It has nothing to do with the message. But that's, that line, that man... I have nothing that's really truly fit for an earthly king, but the king of the universe, he'll receive this with joy. I pray that it kind of brings you freedom. Let's pray. We'll jump into Ecclesiastes chapter two. A little sermonette. Here we go. Ready? <clears throat> Father, again, we thank you for a time to be together. You've given us your word that we might know your will. We might know who you are. We might understand our plight, that you are our remedy. And I pray that you give us humility, that you'd help us to be teachable in this moment, humble to receive, honest with ourselves before you, honest with you, that we'd be sensitive to what it is that you're trying to do, convicting and encouraging whatever is necessary to make us look more and more like Jesus. And so, Holy Spirit, have your way. Do a great work. Make much of Jesus, for I cannot do it on my own. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. amen. Ecclesiastes chapter two, starting here in verse one. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. This is him speaking to himself. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Friends, that word pleasure uh, in the Hebrew means a state of happiness with a focus on sensory input to the body, which gives entertainment to the senses. It's just this experience. So I want to I I face life and I go, okay, I want to I experience all that life has to offer. I want to experience these pleasures. And remember, this is a guy who has every resource, as, every resource at his disposal, and he can do whatever it is that he wants. And so to try to find fulfillment, he will take those resources and just go for what? For pleasure. And then he continues. He says, but behold, this was, a, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart how to, how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. 
I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been there before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered that, I'm so sorry, then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Friends, there is one word that was repeated at least 19 times from chapters one or chapter one, verse 12 down through chapter two, 11. I tried to emphasize it as I was reading it. Do you know what the one word was? Did you hear it? My, that's it. It's just me, me, myself, and I, like everything's going to be about me. What can I do for me? He says, I tried everything, laughter, pointless. Guys, he talks about concubines. Guys, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines. What the heck? How do you remember birthdays? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. He said, I can have whatever I want. I have all these women. He says, it didn't bring any fulfillment. He says, it was a waste. All this work that I tried to do, all these accomplishments, these things that I built, wastes, why? Because I'm not fulfilled. I still need to do more. There has to be more. There's no sense of what? Contentment. So if I was to ask you, and there's no show of hands needed on this, if I were to ask you, are you content? Students, are you content? Have you found a place where, yeah, I've got what I need? This simplicity that God really calls us to in living, to just be simple, to live simply, not to need more, like more gadgets or more stuff or more, uh, or, or more, like more of a buildup of your reputation or more fame or more friends. Or Have we just found a place to be content? Youth workers and youth pastors, have you found a place of contentment? Guys, I speak to you from this place where I was so convicted over the years Friends, I became a speaker who pastored rather than a pastor who spoke. I would get to lead youth ministries for a long time. I did youth ministry most of the time I've been doing stuff. You ever know, but I, I, this is what I noticed. It was never enough. It's like, I need more kids. And what happened is I would look past the kids that were with me, that were already there that I was called to love on and to care for and to shepherd. I would look past them because I needed more. And I could sit there and I could justify it saying, I just want more people to come to Jesus, which I did. But what was really happening is I needed more people to be there. So I felt like what I was was doing was actually valid. Youth workers, have you found a place of contentment with the, with the, the students that you have? If you, and there's never anything wrong with wanting to see more people come to Christ. But is that because you truly want to see people come to Christ? Or because you need to feel validated and feel like I'm really doing a good work, right? I always come back to that passage when Jesus says, where two or more have gathered, there I am in their midst. You know what brings about contentment for me? Over the years, as I've learned ministry and what it's supposed to be, because it became an idol for me. The goal that I should have is this, the presence of Jesus. 
If two or more gatherings, Jesus says, there I am with them. Oh, then the presence of Jesus is beautiful and I can trust him with the results. The early church at the end of Acts chapter two, right before chapter three starts, it says, and the Lord added daily those who are being saved. The Lord adds as we're faithful to do what he called us to do. Oh, it freed me. But I felt so convicted for the longest time. I wasn't content. I wasn't content in Christ. I needed something I needed to achieve. So guys, I didn't have all these resources that he had, but I still tried to do all these things of achievement or to earn something rather than to just do things with effort because I've already been accepted by God because of Jesus. And then to just walk humbly with him. But you notice every single thing, my heart, my heart, my heart, my body. I made, my, I made for myself, for myself. I made myself, my house, for myself. Uh, my wisdom remained, my eyes, my heart. It's like he just keeps going over and over. Mine, 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 me, me. What does this do for me? How does this affect me? I'm starting to see from this passage and we connect it to the totality of what the scriptures teach. Here's the root problem. Here's the, where the root of sin all hits. It's me. It's when I want, it's what I want to do, it's what I feel like, it's what I want. I've, this is what I've always thought and this is how it's supposed to be and this is what I should get for me. And whatever it costs somebody else, it doesn't matter because it's about me. Friends, the problem with sin is us. It's sin. Guys, we didn't become sinners because there's sin in the world. There's sin in the world because we're sinners. We brought it. We brought sin to the party. And friends, that's what brings us to a place of not having any contentment. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Think about it. We have two chapters of God. In God's word, telling us that God created everything. Two chapters. And then he looks at Adam, Eve's not around yet, looks at Adam and says, hey, Adam, I want you to work the ground and keep, keep it. I want you to, the word keep means to protect or to guard. I want you to guard and protect what I've created. And then he looks and says, yeah, you can't do this by yourself. There's no way. So I'm gonna make a helper fit for you. The word fit means opposite. It makes someone who's completely opposite, so he makes Eve. Ladies and gentlemen, you ever notice that we guys and girls are much different from each, from each other? You ever notice that? There's times where my wife will be talking about something and I'm sitting there <laughs> and I'm really trying to understand. I'm like, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm not paying attention. I'm not on my phone. I'm like, okay, tell me. And she's like, just like telling a story. And now we've had, we had this conversation early on in our marriage. She would tell me a story, something going, going on at work. And I would jump in with, this is how you fix. This is what you should do. Because then my husband's going to fix it. And at some point, she finally stopped me. And she goes, Brian, I don't need you to fix everything. I just, want to I just want to tell you what's happening. I was like, oh, never even heard of that. <laughs> like, we, we guys just don't do that that often. I was like, okay. So there's honestly times, even now, she'll start telling me a story and I'll go, wait a minute. Is this listen because you want to think of some ways that maybe we could fix it or am I just listening? She goes, just listen. Okay, perfect. I can put that to the side and go, tell me all about it. We're just different. And there's times she'll say something and she'll have that, I'll have that look on my face. It's not because I'm an idiot, but I'm just, I'm just like, I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. 
Like I heard every word, I know English, I heard every word and I comprehended it, but it makes no sense. So I'll have that look on my face and she goes, you don't, you don't understand what I'm saying, do you? No, I'm, real, I'm trying, I'm really trying. Or there'll be times I say this, I'll say something to her and she just doesn't get it and it's good. There's times we make decisions that are better because we come up from different perspectives that I can hear her point of view and she can hear my point of view and she's helping me see things that I normally would have seen and vice versa, we make better decisions. God's plan is always perfect. The beginning makes male and female opposite one another. Not one better than the other, not one elevated over the other, but celebrating both, male and female. He creates them. And then we get to chapter three and we broke the whole thing. Like it took two chapters for us to just screw up the whole thing. I gotta be honest, sometimes I'm like, God, why did you even do that? Why'd you give such responsibilities? Like, hey, the whole creation's yours. Here's this garden. All these trees are here for you. But don't eat from that one. Leave that one alone. Because if you do, you're gonna die. So he gives them the warning. I don't think there was something special about that tree. I don't think it was glowing. I don't think it spoke. Hey, come to me. Come to me, have one of my apples or whatever fruit it was. Have one my papaya. Like, I don't know what it was. It was with apple. I don't know. It was something different. I think it was just a tree. Friends, I have no clue how much time goes between chapters two and chapter three. You ever notice that? We always think it's like seven days created. Well, six days created, seventh day Sabbath rest eight days, so probably nine or 10 days in. I don't know how long it was. But in chapter three, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Friends, you realize the tactics of the enemy has not stopped in any way. He uses the exact same tactics from the very beginning. Did God really say? I mean, did God actually say that you can't? The fear that I have because of that statement, that this is how the enemy will attack us, this is how he'll tempt us, did God really say? Friends, I believe that right now in the States, our time, we're the most biblically illiterate culture in the history of the church. And yet we have as many resources as necessary to be in the word, to hear the word spoken to us. We have as many resources as we want, and yet we don't. And a lot of times you just go based upon how I feel. And when I think about God, that's what God is like. And God's going, I've given you my word that you can understand who I am. Friends, we cannot understand the will of God if we're not in the word of God. You can't, it's not possible. He gave us his word as guardrails to protect us. The commandments are for our good. Not to steal joy, but to increase joy. Did God really say, my fear is this, that because we don't know the word of God, we have no clue how to answer that question. If he comes up and says, did God really say? He's like, I don't know. Let me find somebody to tell me what he said so I can tell you. Did God really say? Now look what, it, look what it is accuses him of. Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Nothing. Did God actually say you can't do anything? And isn't that kind of how it is today? 
One little, did God actually say, you can't have any joy, any fun, you can't laugh at anything. You can't play, you just sit and you just listen and you wait for the Lord to come through a cloud. Like that's all you can do, just sit and do nothing. Like you can't have anything. Doesn't, isn't, isn't it weird he just throws up this straw man argument, like paints the worst picture ever. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees that are in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. She knew what he said, but there is this one part that she added that God never said. God never said, don't touch it. You look, in, you look at her earlier, he, says, he never says, don't touch it. He says, don't eat of it. Now, it doesn't mean, I don't think that I would sit there and go, he said don't eat, so I'm just going to go play with the fruit. Not, I don't think I would have done that. In fact, I probably would have put that rule on myself as well. But here's the, here's the danger. When she said, but God said, and then attributed her own thing, her own little rule that she set up, she attributed it to what God said. She attributed it to God, and God never said it. I think there's a warning for us as followers of Jesus. We need to be very careful when we use the phrase, God told me. God told me, because if it was not, God, guys, do you realize that in the Old Testament, the person spoke and they said that they're a prophet of the Lord and it wasn't true and it didn't come true. Do you realize that, do you know what happened to that false prophet? They were to be stoned to death. You ever wonder why in the 10 commandments that says you shall not take the Lord, um, take, take the name of the Lord your God in vain. You know that one? And we've just jumped back and say, you're not allowed to say, oh my God. You're like, oh, you just did it. <gasps> Guys, isn't it weird? Like, I just can't, that's the only thing. Just don't say that phrase. That's really all it is. He's like, just don't use my name as a cuss word. And I don't think that we should. But what if taking the Lord's name in vain is this? Attributing to God something that you're saying that God said and never doing, and, and he never did, and therefore taking his reputation and placing it on your preference and saying, thus saith the Lord. Yeah. Doesn't that seem like more of what it is that God is actually saying also? So when we say, well, God said this about himself and you have no clue what it is that he said and you're just making it up, do you realize that at no point God is sitting there going, well, at least they're trying. How do I know? In the book of Job, Job has three friends that show up with him in his suffering. For seven days, they were the best friends ever. You know why? They didn't say anything. <laughs> they just sat with him, hurt with him, He's sitting in dust and ashes. He's lost all of his kids. He's lost all of his wealth. He's sitting there and covered in boils. They didn't say a word. And then all of a sudden, on the seventh or eighth day, they'd start to talk. And they start saying things about God. And Job, you know what? If you had confessed your sin, then this wouldn't have been happening to you. But you go back to chapter one and two. This had nothing to do with Job's sin. All this happened because God and Satan had this conversation. And Satan said, the only reason he'll worship is because he'd give him everything. But God himself was the one who said, there is no one like Job who's full of integrity. The reason that Job went through the suffering was not because he had sin in his life, it's because he had integrity in his life. Was he a sinner? Of course he was a sinner. But that wasn't happening because he sinned in a specific way. And yet they were saying these things about him and about God. And at the end, it says that the Lord was angered by the things that they said and even told Eliphaz, hey, have Job pray for you and, you and your two friends because you spoke what was not true of me and I'll listen to his prayer. Woo. Guys, we need to be careful when we say, thus saith the Lord. 
We need to know what God says in his word. We need to know what his commandments are and then realize his commandments are for our good. He wants to bless us. He doesn't want to kill the joy. He wants us to increase in it. Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I got to be honest, friends. I am so tired of knowing good and evil. I'm so tired of it. I loved being five. I don't, and I don't know, maybe someone, like, you had a rough five, like a rough childhood. I just know for me, it was just fun. I mean, we, just, I, even at five, I'm on my bike. I would, I would ride my bike across the street, up and down the street, because there was never anyone there. And if there was, you just kind of get out of the way and you pretend like you're a motor cop and you're just chasing after them. Guys, we would jump people's walls to their backyards, not even tell them, just go. It was so much fun. In fact, there was a house down the street on that street. And they, they were like a voting booth. They had, or they had voting booths. They're a, a poll place. So we'd dress in all black and we'd like pretend like we're spying. We'd go in the backyard with like these fake little rifles and be just staring. It's like, I got him. And we had like radios. I got him in my sights. Take the shot. And all they're doing is poking holes and voting. Guys, it was just fun. I loved it. And all the rule was just be back by the time it gets dark. I didn't know good and evil. I didn't know all that was going on in the world. Isn't it amazing that the serpent, one of his things was, you'll be like God. You'll get to know good and evil. Friends, I don't, I hate hearing that people have cancer. I hate it. I think it's because my wife had to go through it. And praise the Lord, she came through it fine. And, but I hate it, my heart aches. For those of you who have experienced this, doesn't it feel like you just got something, like someone just slugged you in the gut when you got that phone call and they told you? Or if you've had to go through it personally? Isn't it just agonizing and terrifying? I hate it. Friends, I hate school shootings. I hate it. Because I don't like wars and rumors of wars and I hate oppression. I hate how many students feel like everything's gone, there's no hope and will take their own life. I hate it. I hate how the enemy has worked and he does his work and he's, guys, we have to stop thinking like he's a wuss. Friends, the only reason he might be terrified of us is because of Jesus in us, but not us. He has mastered his craft. His tactics haven't changed and he's effective. But Jesus is greater. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. God knows. <clears throat> God knows that when, when, not if. Notice he says when. When you eat of it. It's almost like this little, little push, little slide toward when. When you eat of it. Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What was the temptation? Bring it back. Somebody tell me. What was the temptation that the enemy gave to Eve? Knowledge. No, who said it? Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay. Knowledge is it. What, what, what else was he saying? What, what other lie was he throwing? You're going to know everything. You're going to be like God. You're going to be like God. Perfect. 
There was one other thing that he did, though. Do you see it? Yep. You get to know good and evil. Yep, that's part of the knowledge part. How about this one? Hey, Eve, God's holding out on you. Well, it doesn't say that. Think about it. God's holding out on you because he knows if you would do this, you'll be like him. In other words, listen to what I'm telling you because he's not telling you the total truth. He's lying to you, and I'm telling you what it is that's actually true. He said, who would ever buy that? Guys, you realize that there is a, there's a young man who calls himself reverend. I heard him preach to his quote unquote congregation out of Genesis chapter three. And in that he said, well, the Bible says, or God said that if they sinned, they were gonna die and they didn't die. So you know what? He said it. The serpent was telling the truth and God lied. And I sat there and I went, oh my gosh. What just... What just happened? How is it that you actually bought into a lie where you would look at this and say, oh, the devil, the one that Jesus says, man, he only knows how to lie. You would then look and say, he's the the one who told the truth and God is the liar? Guys, the enemy knows what he's doing and that's why we need to know what it is that God has said goes on. So verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Come on, Adam, what were you doing? Just stand there looking at a serpent talking to your wife? Like, oh, that's a pretty snake. <laughs> Why not step in? He didn't. Did you notice what she did, though? Aren't these just justifications? So a woman saw that, here's justification number one, the tree was good for food. Number two, it was a delight to the eyes. Number three, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Three justifications. And yet the first two were true. Guys, you can go back to chapter two, verse uh, verse nine. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. God created that. God created the beauty in the trees as well as the fact that it was good for food. Those were the two that were right. The problem is when she came to this and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Guys, when you look up that word desired in the Hebrew, it means to covet or to lust or to strongly desire another's possession. In other words, I want what God has, whatever it takes. I know it's not mine, but I want it. There's the heart of sin. Friends, sin is active rebellion against God. It's not just I'm broken. Friends, I've been broken by sin. But it is rebellion against the holy God. So she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves themselves loincloths. Is that the most awkward realization in the history of the world? You're just walking around naked. Because you don't know the difference. You don't have any clothes. You just walk around naked. Guys, think about this. No laundry. Right? Adam and Eve, they owe us some quarters. They owe us some laundry money. I'm telling you, friends. They owe us, they owe us some time. It's just, it's just the norm. And all of a sudden, it's like, God, I think we can, yeah, let's do this. Like, I want that. I want that. I want to be, I want to know good and evil. So they just take the papaya, whatever it is, and they just... 
crunch down on that sucker, and then they go, what the? What is this? We're, let's just call it naked. We're naked. <laughs> and then what do they do? The same thing that we do. You're like, I've never made, never made loincloths from leaves. Which has got to be, it's like a four-year-old coming up, with a, like coming up with a remedy. What's the problem? We need more dirt on it. We need more leaves. <clears throat> Let's make clothes out of leaves. How do we do the same thing? Because we'll do whatever it takes to cover our sin rather than deal with it. We're just going to cover it with whatever we can, even if it's another sin, and it's another sin, and it's another sin, and that which isn't going to really bring the remedy or fix the problem, we're just going to keep adding more and adding more and adding more, and then we're going to find ourselves when God shows up in this passage, says that they hid themselves from God when they heard him walking in the cool of the day. Why? Because they were afraid. Friends, shame now became their reality. Insecurity crept in. Terror of God. And guys, I'll be honest. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning. I'm afraid of God because he's massive. And then he invites me and says, no, 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 don't be afraid. When people say I've never been afraid of God, then I'm convinced you've never met him. Because you'll see Peter in response just because Jesus made some fish jump into a net. And he goes, get away from me. I'm a sinner. Job, at the end of the book, he's like, okay, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you, and I repent. I repent. I've got nothing to say. Isaiah, when he sees this vision of the Lord, seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his throne filled the temple with glory. The whole earth is full, full of his glory. What was Isaiah's response? He's like, what was me? In other words, he's like, I'm going to die. Why? Because I've seen the Lord. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. At no point do you see this. Oh, that's God. Okay. And then that God says, no, 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 come here, come here, don't be afraid. I'm for you, I'm not against you. It only comes through a relationship with Jesus, though. They hid themselves. Because that's what we do when we sin. As if we think that it fixes it. When you go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, me and mine, me and mine, me and mine, my my, me, me, I did this for me. I experienced all this for me. I achieved this for me. I want, I want, I want. Friends, the root of our sin is our own sinful desires for the things that don't belong to us. C.S. Lewis had this quote. He made this statement. Old school, old school author from back in the day, he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. It's like he's saying, which one would you take? A $100 bill or a can of soup? He's like, this is what she'll take 100% of the time. Can of soup, why? Because we are so easily entertained. I want to give up that which has true value and meaning because I don't see the value and meaning of it because I want immediate gratification, immediate. Guys, everything's immediate now, isn't it? Like waiting, what is that? You can binge watch a whole season of a show in like two nights. 
Just go for it. Just don't stop. And then when you're done, you sit there and go, I'm fulfilled. Or you sit there and go, season two. <laughs> and you ever gotten to the end where you finally binged all of them, and you get to the very end, you're going, what do I do now? I guess I'll do it with that next show. I'll just keep filling more, 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 more. I can't, I can't get enough of this. We're so easily entertained, distracted, trying to achieve, all the while forgetting what we've been offered by God is himself so that that little dash between the start and end date of our own physical bodies and lives actually has meaning and value and purpose. We're so easily entertained, friends. Are you settling? Have you settled for vanity over value? Have you settled for pointless over purpose? Have you settled for the lure of sin over the invitation of your savior? Have we settled? Last thought, we're gonna close it. In Genesis chapter three is where we broke it and in Genesis chapter three is where God says, this is how I'm gonna fix it. I love that in the exact same chapter where we jacked it all up, God says, this is how I'm gonna fix it. Verse 21 in chapter three, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. There they are standing there in garments of leaves. You imagine God going, well, that's cute. Those are gonna dry out and that's gonna get real uncomfortable. In other words, it's kinda like, what a pathetic attempt at dealing with the problem. He even looked at Adam, God, Adam, what did you do? Adam or Eve, what happened? Notice that God is the one who came to them in the garden. God initiates relationship with us. We never find him, he finds us. He calls us. The Father draws us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He reconciles us to himself while we, are, while we are sinners. He reconciles us. He comes to us and offers reconciliation through Jesus. He does it all. But he starts it. He initiates it. Chapter 3, verse 21 again. The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. How is this the remedy? He just covered up their sin for a moment. Or was it painting a picture of what was to come? Friends, how do you get skins from an animal? What do you have to do to the animal? You have to kill it. Did the animal do anything? No. no. So something which was innocent had to be slaughtered for those who were guilty. So that those who were guilty in their sin could be covered. Doesn't that sound like the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world? And that God the Father would look and say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna slaughter that which was innocent to cover the sin of those who are in rebellion against me. Why, for God so loved the world that he gave. That which was innocent was slaughtered so that we could be covered. The covering, what is that? There's this concept or teaching in the scripture of this imputed righteousness. Imputed righteousness is this. Say I'm wearing a coat of sin and Jesus is wearing this coat of righteousness. When I surrendered to his lordship and I received his gift of salvation, when I committed to becoming his follower, we exchanged coats. He took my sin and I took on his righteousness. So I stand before God, not in arrogance. There's no echo. Boom, pop the collar and go, look at me. All that I can do is go, I got nothing to offer you, God, except what? Hands lifted saying, hallelujah. Why? Because I'm covered in the righteousness of Jesus. I've got nothing. 
Father sees me, and anyone in here who is a follower of Christ, he sees you as if you are as righteous as Jesus because you are in him. Oh, glory to God. And his grace is truly amazing because in the same chapter we broke it is in the same chapter he declared how he'll fix it. We'll look more at that tonight. Can I pray for us? Let me pray. God, we thank you. Oh, thank you that even in our sin, you came to us. While we were still sinners, you died for us. While we were enemies, enemies of you, God, you reconciled us to yourself. God, I thank you. I can never repay you. None of us could. And yet you never even ask us to. But we're committed to you and we're followers of you. We want to obey you. And you tell us, Jesus, you tell us, I know those who love me by those who obey my commandments. Oh, God, may you see how much we love you, how we obey you today. And as we do, oh, God, I pray that you would show yourself once again faithful that there'd be more joy experienced because we are simply doing the things that you've called us, invited us, and commanded us to do. Thank you for forgiveness, God. For those that don't know you, I pray, Holy Spirit, continue. Convict of sin, draw them to Jesus. For those of us that do, continue to convict us of our sin, the fleshly desires that we have, that we could be completely focused and all about you. God, we love you and we thank you. To you be all the praise, all the glory, and all the honor. For you alone are worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Amen. Love you all more than me.